a really important thing too is change. Everybody's financial business, investment, estate planning, retirement planning changes. It changes over time. Like when you're 45 years old, 50 years old, planning for the next 20, 30 years of your life, things are going to change. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my Great to Wealth listeners. Today, we're going to talk to Sari Ibrahim. Now, make sure you do not call his name Sari as in Siri, because I did that mistake a few minutes ago. And here you go. My phone's just picked up his name again. He's Sari Ibrahim. Sari, how are you, buddy? Hey, Socket. Good. How are you? I'm good. Sari, we were just talking uh, just before we got on the call. It's going to be a very exciting conversation because your background, I think what you cover is what a lot of folks need, right? You go all the way from helping you figure out how do you get out of debt, fix your credit report and all that good stuff to all the way to figure out the asset protection vehicles that they may use. Now, I want to put a disclaimer. You are not a lawyer and you're not a CPA. So any advice, discussion that we hear on this podcast from you or from me, because I'm neither of those either, it's going to be really our opinion. And if you want to implement something, make sure you take some proper counsel and talk to your advisors. Mm-hmm. Perfect. True. Correct. Sorry, well, great to have you on, buddy. The way we usually kick off this show, Sari, is we talk about your migration journey, right? When we say migration, let me give you a context. It's not about your physical migration. Yeah. I don't know if you immigrated in this country or not, but regardless, we're definitely interested in that journey as well. But more importantly, we're interested in how did you get, what life events happened that you got to do financial advisory firm, for the lack of better terms? What got you doing that? Yeah, definitely. It's a good question. It's kind of like it wasn't like planned for me specifically to get into financial services, to be a financial advisor. I guess it led me like I was somehow led into it. It started when I was about halfway through my MBA program in Chicago and I was looking for a job prior to that. I had done some internships, but I hadn't really settled into a professional, you know, big boy job yet. So I started working at Allstate Insurance. I was in sales and marketing. And at first, I did the job because I had a professor in college who said everybody should get in sales. It was mm-hmm. like a management information systems course. And he said everybody should get into sales regardless of what you end up doing so that way you can learn how to communicate. So that was my intention. My intention was to get a sales job so that way I could enhance my communication skills and problem-solving skills, especially with people. But what ended up happening was like the opposite. It was like I liked it. I liked it. not necessarily the selling part, but the talking to people part. And then it became like the opposite where I didn't see myself in a corporate environment. I didn't see myself working as a project manager as I was intending on doing. I saw myself more so working with people, small businesses and individuals, and then also talking about money too. Because for a lot of people, talking about money is a very personal thing. I was very comfortable with that. And I noticed that people were comfortable with me when talking about money. Because I always had a passion for like problem solving. That's what I want to do. I want to stay within this field. So I left Allstate, started my own company. And when I started my own company, it was like a full service, mostly health insurance brokerage where I would represent different health insurance carriers. And I would like broker Medicare and health insurance products. And I worked with a lot of people from the city of Chicago who were retiring and they needed help with their own Medicare plan. And then later on, I added on financial products such as like the infinite banking concept annuities. And it brings us to today where I have a company called Financial Asset Protection. And that's literally all we do is financial planning and financial coaching for business owners and real estate investors. 
Awesome. So that's an interesting path, right? Usually um, you would think that a lot of folks will say that, hey, I'm going to do something interesting, which is usually ends up being I'm going to work for a big company. And then yeah. eventually they end up quitting. So how did you realize you're not made for the big companies or big companies are made for you? The corporate culture yeah. is not for you. Were you trying something? You hated your job or this was just very natural to you that you don't want to work for anybody? Exactly. Good point. So that was my, like a lot of people, my initial thought was the bigger the company, the better it is for you. Like you want to work for the biggest companies, you know, and it's not always true. Like number one, you don't always make the most money in those situations. And number two, it's, you're more of like a robot in that situation than, you know, a person. So I noticed that I noticed that from a couple of the internships I did, I noticed that from the interviewing process of working because I was doing my MBA in downtown Chicago. So we had, you know, all these companies next door to us mm -hmm. and I was interviewing and I really didn't blend with the recruiter. I didn't blend with the idea of working, you know, 60 hours a week. And right. this is before COVID obviously. So everybody was going to work, you know, like people were, you'd go to downtown Chicago, you'd see people, you know, at nine o'clock PM, you know, in suits and ties still working. So everybody would have to go to the office. And I just couldn't comprehend that. Like I had to always like, go to work. <laughs> you always yeah. have to go to work. I yeah. couldn't uh, like really want that. And then I started to meet a lot of self-employed financial advisors and insurance agents. And they would always say the same thing. They'd say like, you know, this is not a job where like you grow up wanting to do it. But once you start doing this and you have all the flexibility and you own your own business, you know, it could be a Tuesday afternoon and you say, you know what, I don't want to work today. That's fine. You don't have to, as long as you don't have any appointments. So that kind of created a lot of clarity and it became more so of like, the conventional way of thinking was what job is going to be best? What's my passion? And that's important. But what's more important is the lifestyle you have. Instead of thinking about right. what you're going to be doing in a job, think about what you're going to be doing outside of the job and then pick that one. Like pick the one that's going to happen on the outside world. That one's probably going to give you a happier life and a more fulfilling life if you focus on outside of your work rather than focusing on in your work. Seems like a contrary thinking, isn't it? What are you saying? Are you smoking something? Because how can that be true? If I don't have the money, if I don't work, I don't have the money. If I don't have the money, yeah. how can I be happy, right? And it yeah. just gets, becomes a vicious loop. That's yeah. what's called a rat race, pretty much. That you're never yeah. able to get out of it. So help me understand, uh, Sari, when you are talking to your, for the lack of a better term, we call them clients, they're not going to come to you for their life problem, right? Which is what you're trying to help them with. Why would they come to you? Let's actually talk that. What yeah, brings them to you? Are they coming to you because they are trying to retire? Are they coming to you because they want, they're not happy in their life? Are they coming to you because they, somebody sued them? Why are they coming to you? Yeah, good question. So number one is that they're coming to me because they believe that I could help them in some sort of way, some sort of financial strategy, whether that's mm -hmm. planning for retirement, whether that's rolling over a 401k, setting up a life insurance policy, getting out of debt, selling their business and what they're going to do with the proceeds, wanting to invest in real estate. There's some sort of financial need, usually an event that triggers something that they need help with. And in my space, like in financial services specifically, and if you were to take, you know, financial services, financial planning, and kind of put it all together under one umbrella, it's not so much about the product. It's not so much about the companies or the technical things. It's 99% about the person that's involved, right? So like if you need financial advice, you could literally go to your bank. You could go to Google, search financial advice. You could talk to, there's robo-advisors. You know, you can mm -hmm. call an insurance company. You could go to a strictly a fee-only advisor. There's 20 different routes you could take. So people, typically the, the route people choose is by the person that they're dealing with. Yeah. So people usually hire financial advisors and financial planners within people they already know or referrals or like they heard it on a podcast. 
So that's why I do a lot of podcasting, right? To meet a lot of people. And then ultimately when people reach out, I hope that they believe that I could help them with their some sort of financial struggle they're having, or even it's not necessarily a struggle. It's more of, I have this extra cash flow. I have this extra cash. What to do with it now? Can we deploy it somewhere? So that's, I think, what people are thinking when they're reaching out. That's amazing. So there's definitely something happening in their life, right? So either a life event, a financial event, they're trying to figure out where their next path is going to be. Mm -hmm. And they come to you now. What does that look like for you, right? Because now, let's say I have, I sold a business or I want to sell a business and I'm trying to figure out how to structure it properly. Now I come to you. How would that look like? Right? What is that engagement looking like? Help us understand that. And the reason why I'm asking these questions really is to help my audience understand how to work with somebody who can help you. That's a skill itself. Just because somebody comes to you doesn't mean they can offload the thinking to Sari now. They have yeah. to still do a lot of their own thinking. And Sari or Socket could be a facilitator but they're not going to give them the answers, right? That's not the goal of an advisor. If there's an advisor who's doing that, you're probably not serving well. You're not being served well. You want to make sure that you are in control of all the decisions and you have the information that you need to answer those because you don't want to use Sari as another crutch or Socket as another yeah. crutch, right? So help us with that. So I come to you, hey, Sari, I'm, I have a 10-year-old business. I'm making about $10 million a year. I want to figure out, I just, I'm done with it. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to figure out my next path. How does that engagement look like? Yeah. So the most important part, so like we have a couple of steps, we'd have like an intro meeting, just like, you know, a 15, 20 minute meeting just to see like uh -huh. if we're a good fit for the next appointment, which is the financial analysis meeting. So the financial analysis meeting is like 60 to 90 minutes long. And it's simply me understanding your financial situation. Like what is happening in your life? What are your goals, needs, wants? What does retirement mean to you? How much do you need in retirement? Like what's happening for you in retirement? In this case right here, you're selling your business, for instance, like, I don't know, 10 million or $20 million, whatever the numbers are. Like what are the financial goals of that? Is it a lump sum? Is it going to be an installment sale? Is it going to be an annuity? Are you still going to be involved in that? So I want to understand the financial aspect of it, but also I want to understand like your view on the financial aspect of it. So like your goals, what you want to accomplish, and then other things like, are, do you also invest in real estate? Do you also have, you know, stocks and bonds and things like that? And then after that, I'd review all that and then make a recommendation based off of your goals, not just based off of like my goals, but based more so based off of your goals, like what you want to accomplish. And that's typically the third call. It would be like on Zoom, I would present the solution to you over like a Zoom screen share. And then after mm -hmm. that, we would implement and then have typically six month meetings. And when we do implement something, it's very rare that's going to be like, all right, let's do all these things. You know, we're going to do infinite banking policy, life policy. We're going to do annuity. We're going to invest in real estate. We're going to sell your business. We're going to all do all that at the third meeting or the fourth meeting. That's probably impossible to do. That's going to be too much things to do. And I've gone through a lot of coaching myself, like life coaching and business coaching myself. And the most like efficient strategies that actually work are the ones where you do like one at a time where mm -hmm. you don't necessarily multitask all these strategies unless you have to like unless you're in this urgent situation where you have to take care of like multiple things before a deadline but usually it's not like that usually you have a lot of time and really just doing like one solid thing at a time even if it's one every six months one solution every six months or every year or every two years we've seen the best results from those because things are actually getting done and then i've also learned that there's a big difference right like 
you could think right now, Saka, that in your head, like you're going to sell real estate, sell your business, buy more real estate, do all these things. And then when, when it comes time to the practical aspect of it, it's two different worlds. So what was happening in your mind, what's mm-hmm. going to happen in the real world is very different. Like the market changes, interest rates change, you know, laws change, the buyer doesn't want to buy, seller doesn't want to sell anymore. Like a lot of things change. So it's really important to do like one thing at a time and then not even move to the next thing until the first thing is done. So that way there's actually a momentum between the advisor and the client. Yeah. Sorry. Do you have a tax advisory component built into your advice as well? Or that's a third party you bring in? Yeah, third party, definitely, because I'm not a tax professional. So the third party I bring in, it's, and it's a couple of different. So I don't have like a one designated tax professional I work with right now, about three different, and all three of them could work in all 50 states. And then we typically, I tell the advisor what I'm doing, and then the client tells the tax professional what they want to do. And then we kind of like integrate the solution. So that way it's not like I'm telling a client something and then the tax professional is telling the client something else. It's more so like we're all on the same team. Like we have these recommendations that we think will help a client. And we need a tax opinion on that to make sure. And sometimes the clients already have their own tax professionals. So that's another thing to consider too, is I just don't want to put the client in a situation where they didn't understand a tax thing. And then even worse, like I gave them somehow, some way, like it was construed that I give them tax advice because yeah. I, I don't do that, you know? So we always like to include, and the same is true with like legal professionals. If somebody needs to create some sort of, you know, trust or will or some sort of estate plan, for sure, 100% it's going to be an attorney that's going to do that. I don't do that. The only thing I will do is some of the parts of the estate plan. Like a lot of estate planning involves life insurance and annuity. That's a huge part of estate planning. So definitely, and I am licensed to do so. So that is potentially where I would come in. Got it, got it. So Sari, help us understand, right? So let, let's take my typical investor, high yeah. paid first, second generation immigrant who is a W-2 employee. So they've come to a realization after they heard my great two wealth podcast that all your money in stocks is not the right thing. You want to diversify into assets that are cash flowing. So they've heard it and now they are trying, they somehow also heard by you, Sari. What would you help them with, right? So the questions you're asking about life, about your goals, about your, what do you want to do? These are not questions that can be answered in 30 minutes, right? These are, especially if you have never pondered on that, right? Yeah. If that's the first time you're asking somebody, what do you want to do in life? They're like, I don't know, retire at 65, because that's what they've been told, right? So what does that conversation look like? And how do you help your clients overcome that barrier? Because there's uh, multiple barriers, right? There is a trust barrier because they still don't trust you that much because they just went to you, right? So trust gets developed over time. Of course, they came to you, so they trust you enough, but not to a point where they're going to be full naked in front of you in terms of financially, right? So we got to figure that out. What strategies do you deploy or what homework do you ask your clients to do? How do you help them come to a point where they feel comfortable when they gave you a goal that's 80 to 90% there? Now it may change, which is perfectly fine, Mm -hmm. but at that moment, that's a reality. Yeah, and you're right. It's not necessarily an everyday thing to tell somebody what your you know 10-year, 20-year goals are, what your financial struggles are, how money was like growing up for you. These are all things that are, you know, people don't even talk about with their friends or even family members about or even spouses about these things. So you're right. It is a very personal thing. Some of the things we do is when, when clients are first reaching out and we do have that financial analysis meeting set up. I'll send them like a checklist of some of the things that we're going to go over. So this way they're kind of like prepped already mentally. And then at that point, really, it's just a matter of trust. I think a lot of times if I do get pushback, the clients don't even do the financial analysis meeting at all. Like if they don't trust me, they don't even do the analysis meeting at all. They already know what's coming. 
but when they're already in that meeting, they kind of already agreed. So they're willing to share at that point because everybody agreed to for the financial analysis meeting. And I've explained to them like what the financial analysis meeting even means. Actually, believe it or not, I've never had a situation where I was in the financial analysis meeting and asking clients all these in-depth questions. And they were like, oh, I don't want to get into that. That's never happened. It's because they already agreed. It does happen. We're about to set up the financial analysis meeting and the client doesn't want to do it anymore. And that's completely normal, right? Like I can't help everybody. So, and then you mentioned a, a really important thing too is change. Like everybody's financial business, investment, estate planning, retirement planning changes. Everybody's, it changes over time. Like when you're 45 years old, 50 years old, planning for the next 20, 30 years of your life, things are going to change, right? Like your job might change, you get, get promoted, you lose your job, you leave your W-2, you start your own business, you go back from your business back to W-2, you get divorced, you a spouse passes away, like life changes, a lot of things change. So that's why we always have like six month review meetings with clients to make sure that like things are still on track. And then again, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a negative thing to change a situation. Like a client could just say, hey, you know what? I thought I was going to retire at age 60, I just started this new business or I just got promoted. I like what I'm doing. I'm going to stay in it till 70 or these things change. So it's not bad that they're changing. It's just that you had the plan has to some degree change with the client's expectations. Got it. Give us a case study, sorry, Mm -hmm. of what your favorite case study, and then we'll do the worst case study. (laughs) One of your clients, I would love to kind of understand. So give us a success story, right? Where somebody came to you and I'm sure you have multiple case studies, but what I really want to focus on somebody who was highly paid employee, right? And then they were in their late 30s, early 40s. That's usually a point where people are trying to pay attention to what finances really mean, what life really means. Right? Yeah. Kind of like they don't want to do a 9 p.m. job anymore, 9 to 9, because <laughs> yeah. they have a family or they want to spend time with the kids and all that good stuff that comes in life there. So let's talk about that as a case study. I know I'm putting you on spot, but if you have some case studies, let's discuss them. Yeah. One of them that comes to mind right now is a case study where I have a high paid, he's a business owner, not necessarily a high paid employee, a high paid business owner, and he owns a couple companies. And one of the things we noticed was that he works with, he was like a manufacturer and he works with a couple other distributors at other companies. And some of his expenses, he had some, for instance, some time, the expenses weren't due upon like a shorter period of time. There were a longer period of time. Like some of them were like six or seven months to pay the expenses so that he had a lot of cash in between these transactions. And we noticed that if we could like utilize, you know, infinite banking, and I won't get into infinite banking, what it is on too much on this podcast, but you can definitely find out many other podcasts, especially real estate podcasts, talk about infinite banking. We implemented that strategies to use for him. So that way he would earn compound interest in the meantime of holding that money. And this strategy really, like, it's not just about the interest or this short-term thing, this small change we made within his business, but really it's a thinking process that goes behind it. And like, as you know, Sagat, I think I mentioned to you, my podcast is called Thinking Like a Bank. So that's the name of our show, Thinking Like a Bank podcast. And we talk about strategies so like that banks use so that people could implement these strategies within their own life. And one of those strategies is if you imagine like how a bank operates, a bank really has no money of, for the most part of its own. It simply holds money for people on one side and the other side loans money out to other people and credit cards and 
mortgages and other forms of debt. So right. they're really like a middleman or a bank in between depositors and lenders. So this is what I want to kind of train business owners on is how to think like a bank, how to, you know, you become the bank, you earn compound interest on money while you're holding it in between earning it and spending it, how you can grow your wealth regardless of market conditions, how you could save on taxes. These are the, some of the things that I wanted to share with clients and case studies being one of them. There's more, but coming to mind right now, like off the top of my head, that this is just one of the case studies I've worked on. Got it. Got it. So you're basically looking at holistic aspect, right? That's yeah. what I was going, driving it at. You're not just saying, hey, I want to sell the business or, I'm, uh, or I have this problem. So let's get you 10 rental properties and the problem is solved. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, may, yeah. that may be a solution to some, but that's not going to be a one size fit all. You're basically looking at it um, let's paint a better picture for you, not just yeah. solve your current problem, but let's solve your, let's set you up such a way that your future problems that we can anticipate are also being addressed. Now, there may be unknowns, which we don't know, right? Precisely, exactly. A holistic approach. Like you're taking a look at different angles. You're not like, for instance, like it's like if you sell with an investment advisor, some people might focus only on the rate of return. Like mm-hmm. if I put a dollar into this, what's going to be my anticipated rate of return? And they might even shop around between different investment opportunities or different investment advisors and then pick the one with the highest rate of return. And I think that could be problematic, right? It can lead to a lot more problems. You could lose money that way. But if you took like a holistic approach, like what I mean by holistic approach is like, okay, the projected internal rate of return, that's important. And then also like what type of asset class is it? Mm -hmm. Historically speaking, how would you measure the risk on this? Is it a higher risk or lower risk kind of asset? And then what's the tax liability? Like, do you pay taxes on all the money? Do you pay taxes only on gains? Is it capital gains? Is dividends? Like, what's kind of tax treatment behind this? And then also like market volatility, meaning that the asset could do good, but the market you're in could essentially bring that asset down, which is what happens essentially in the stock market. Yeah. Like, you might have companies that are doing really good, but because of market conditions, because of other things that happen in the economy, in the world, it could drive that price down. Right. Again, the company is still profitable, but it drives the price down because of the exterior effects of that. So you want to think of like the vulnerability or the volatility of market conditions. And then you also want to think about like, you know, what's like the liquidity part or like the holding period of this? Like how long do you have to wait? Do you have to, you know, can you sell it as a liquid? Even if it's not liquid, how long do you have to wait? Like in real estate, I'm a real estate investor myself and I'm comfortable like parking money somewhere for like five years. But if you told me I had to park it for like 10 or 15 years without being able to recapture anything, maybe I might, but then I'd I'd probably lean more. I'd probably try to find another investment that was projected to exit in like five years. So having this holistic approach where you're looking at, and then even more importantly, does all this align with your goals and your goals and then your cash flow goals, your net worth goals, and then this is something that you believe in. Like, does it align with your values too? Because you don't want to invest in things and take part in things that don't are not aligned with your belief system. Right. So right. that's what holistic financial planning is. Is like you're taking everything and really matching it to make sure that it's the right choice for you. Awesome. Sorry. Sorry. Do you have a scary case study? Uh, the thing I was going to say, unfortunately, I don't. And really the reason why is because a lot of the strategies, like I never like, for example, helped a client and invest and then they lost all their money like a month later that, you know, that's never happened just because of the strategies we're involved in. So I hate to be biased and say, you know, oh, we've never had a bad case, but we really haven't. I think that more people should not only reach out to me, but more people should reach out to holistic financial planners, like independent financial planners who 
are more in the role of financial coach than just because mm-hmm. when I say right now, like financial advisor, a lot of people, their first thought is stocks, bonds, mutual stocks, funds. That's their first thought. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people don't reach out to financial advisors because they need some sort of financial help. But they don't want to have a conversation about mm-hmm. the S&P 500. And if they allocate, you know, X amount of dollars, they'll have $5.5 million, you know, at the age of 65. Like that's yeah. irrelevant to a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if there's one thing I want you to walk away from this podcast is like find a open-ended financial coach, somebody who can help you in any situation, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, insurance, whatever the case might be, they can help you. And then work with them because I'm a big fan of also the concept of who, not how, you know, Dan Mm -hmm. Sullivan's book, instead of you thinking of how do I do this? You know, what do I research? How do I put all this together? Think of who can help you get there. So that's a big part of what we do. And a big part of like, also what I've done, I I mentioned, I'm a big proponent of financial coaching and business coaching and life coaching. So constantly find help that could help you get to your goals. Awesome. Well, sorry, this has been an amazing discussion, but I think there's so much to learn in the financial world, of course, I always say that take your learning in your own hand. And the only way you can do that is by listening to podcasts like these, mm-hmm. listening to your podcast, right? And then having it, having actually a discussion, having a discussion with anyone doesn't cost you anything, right? Yeah. Just make sure you pick the right person. That's the analysis that you'll have to do. So sorry, towards the end of our show, we usually end up with like two different questions, right? So one question is going to be more around when you go back to your young, and you're fairly young right now, but if you go back to your 19, 20-year-old self, what are some of the life lessons you'll tell them so they could use that to make their migration in life more intentional? Yeah, don't listen to, take advice from very little people. You know, I remember when I was 19, 20, I was like open ears to any advice, advice mm-hmm. from people my age, advice from parents, advice from friends, parents, you know, employers, teachers, college professors, anybody really. And because you're young, there's a lot you still don't know. And a lot of people give you advice, but I would limit that and really focus on your goals and think big, right? My personal opinion, there's no downside to thinking big and taking big actions and really pushing yourself, stretching your mind Mm -hmm. and stretching your abilities to really think big. If I were to go back, I would probably want to do, you know, start on what my goals at a younger age. I simply did it because I thought I wasn't qualified to do so, that mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to do so. Uh, but that was just more of my own thinking, my own limiting beliefs, because of that was my environment. My environment was you go to college, you work a job, you work multiple jobs, you keep working. That was my environment. So my advice to people that are in their 19, 20 years old, 21 years old, dream big. And I see a lot of that now. Like a lot of people are the positive side to social media right now is people are like doing big things because other people are seeing it. When I was 19, 20 years old, we didn't have TikTok. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have these yeah. things. So information was, it wasn't spread as fast as it was, yeah. as it is right now. Very true. Very true. Sorry, one last question. Where do you feel like humanity needs to migrate towards? Where does humanity need to migrate towards? Like, where does humanity need to go? I think self-realization. That's that's where we need to go. We need to go back ourselves instead of trying to figure out the world, try to figure out other people, other things happening in the world. We need to revert back to ourselves and really focus on who we are. A lot of people don't know, you know, themselves. That's where I would say humanity needs to migrate towards. Amen to that, Sari. Hey, Sari, thanks a lot for being on our show, man. You've added tremendous value. I think everyone needs to pay attention to their own financial life and yeah. they got to control it. So thank you again for giving us a framework of how to think about that. Sorry, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where can they find you, buddy? 
Yes, Saka, thank you for having me on your podcast. The best way is thinkinglikeabank.com. It's thinkinglikeabank.com. You could find everything there, the podcast, YouTube channel, my LinkedIn profile. Everything can be found at thinkinglikeabank.com. Well, thanks a lot, buddy. I will make sure that that information is included in the show notes. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.